I'm going to be reading from Zechariah chapter 13 today. I'm going to read verses 7 to 9. And then I'm also going to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 26, where Jesus quotes these verses or part of these verses from Zechariah 13. Let's begin with Zechariah. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. The third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. This is the word of the Lord for us today. And I'm also going to read the other passage I told you I would read. Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I want to talk about these texts in three parts this morning. Three parts. Zechariah gives us three images, three ways that God works with his people here. First, the Lord is our good shepherd. Second, the Lord is our great refiner. And finally, the Lord is our faithful God. The Lord, our good shepherd. The Lord, our great refiner. The Lord, our faithful God. And first, the Lord is our good shepherd. Ultimately, the Bible wants us to understand that Zechariah 13 is talking about Jesus, our good shepherd. But we have to take kind of a long detour to actually get there. The original audience of Zechariah would have understood these verses in chapter 13 to be about a really, really bad shepherd. In chapter 11, Zechariah has a whole section that condemns this foolish and worthless shepherd. This was a shepherd who didn't care about his flock and who led them into danger and difficulty. A shepherd who didn't care about lost sheep, who didn't heal the injured, who didn't feed the hungry. A shepherd who slaughtered the sheep instead of caring for them. The shepherd in chapter 11 was a worthless shepherd. And that chapter ends by calling judgment down on him. And then chapter 13 gives another judgment on that bad shepherd. This is verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, says the Lord. And the word for strike there is a word that basically means to slaughter. This call to strike the shepherd is not a gentle rebuke. It's a call to take a sword and strike that man down forever. This is a call for execution, for extermination. Zechariah is saying the Lord's patience is at an end 
And it's time for that terrible shepherd to pay the ultimate price for his disobedience to God and his mistreatment of the flock. Now, when Zechariah first wrote those verses, they were probably directed at some of the leaders of God's people in his own day. They may have been priests. It's a little more likely they were some politicians, some political leaders of God's people. And it seemed like those leaders had taken true service to the Lord God, and they'd kind of mixed that in with some other things. They kept on worshiping God, but they also brought in some elements of Persian religion and Persian culture. They were trying to make a nice religious and cultural casserole. They were still giving lip service to the Lord, but they were really setting their sails according to the latest and greatest earthly empire. And they've been doing this for some time. And as part of that, they've been taking terrible advantage of the rest of God's people. They oppressed them. They stole from them. They did all kinds of things that the leaders of God's people were not supposed to do. So through the prophet Zechariah, the Lord let those leaders know that their time was up. The time of the worthless shepherds was over. And they were going to be struck down. And so presumably the very first message of this text was that you really shouldn't be a bad shepherd if you were a leader of God's people. If you get that wrong, you pay the price. But then when we come to the New Testament, Jesus brings a surprising twist to that story. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus quotes Zechariah 13. And if you were among the disciples gathered there, you probably would expect Jesus to quote that section from Zechariah 13 and then to say, it's talking about the priests. It's talking about the political leaders of today. It's talking about those people out there. And it is time for them to be done away with. That's what you would have expected if you were one of Jesus' disciples. But Jesus turns that on its head. Instead of pointing to the evil people out there, Jesus puts himself, Jesus puts himself in the role of that bad, worthless shepherd. Now think about this for a minute. Jesus has gathered with his closest disciples. They still seem to have some kind of expectation that Jesus is going to be the political Messiah who's going to get rid of all the bad things and bring in a golden age for God's people. But instead of Jesus saying those corrupt, terrible leaders are going to be done away with and a new golden age is coming in, instead of saying that, Jesus, the good shepherd, puts him in the place of the one who will be punished. And of course, of course, the disciples reject what Jesus has to say especially Peter, but all of them insist that, no, that's not going to be you, and that's not going to be us. You aren't going to be struck down, and we aren't going to be scattered. Even if everyone else falls away, says Peter, I never will. These guys knew that text in Zechariah 13. They knew what and who it was about, and they knew that it was not about a good shepherd. It didn't make any sense that that prophecy would come true of this Jesus who they knew. But of course, you probably know that it did come true. What Jesus said would happen did happen, just as it always does. 
Just a little bit later in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is captured by the forces of evil and all his disciples run away. The shepherd ultimately is struck down and his sheep are scattered. Verse 8 in Zechariah 13 talks about how two-thirds of the people will fall away, but there will be this remnant of one-third. But Jesus didn't even get that. Not even a third of his disciples stuck around. Not even one of his disciples stood by him. Peter had three specific occasions where he could have thrown his lot in with Jesus, and every time he backed off and said, No, no, I don't go with that guy. I don't belong to him. He doesn't belong to me. In the end, God's chosen remnant came down to one person, to Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Everybody else fell away. The sheep were scattered. Even the righteous remnant ran away. And yet Jesus remained. And in Jesus' suffering, Zechariah 13 finds a fulfillment that we should find unexpected and surprising. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus puts himself in the position of a truly, truly wicked man. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus quote a passage from the Old Testament about a wicked, worthless person and then say, that's the position I'm in? Did Jesus do that because he'd done some wrong, because he had some secret sin, because somehow he was a bad shepherd? Well, no. No. Jesus never did anything wrong. But the reason Jesus put himself in that position is because he really is our good shepherd. When we deserve punishment, when we deserve punishment, Christ stepped into our place. When the worst sinners you can imagine, when the people who were responsible to lead God's people in the right direction led them in the wrong direction and took advantage of them, even then, Jesus stepped into their place. When people had done things worthy of summary execution, Jesus stepped into their place. When Jesus suffered and was killed, this prophecy in Zechariah 13 was fulfilled for our good. The good shepherd was struck down for us. The good shepherd rose again, and the good shepherd now gathers his flock in. No matter how bad you've been, no matter how broken you are, no matter what, Jesus suffered for you. Jesus took the death that all of us deserve and he gave us new life. Don't miss hearing that today. The good shepherd was struck down so that you, so that you could be raised up. So if you belong to the good shepherd, be encouraged. He went through great suffering. He was struck down so that you could be saved. And if you don't follow Jesus as your good shepherd today, or even if you don't follow him wholeheartedly, well, let me just ask you this. Why not? If you aren't following the good shepherd, why not? 
Now, I'm not saying you should turn off your mind or turn off your heart. If you've got questions about Jesus, if you wonder if he really was who he said he was, then dig into that. Read the Bible. Ask questions. Ask God if he's there to give you insight. And if your heart wonders, if your heart wonders, how can a good God let so many bad things happen in this world? Don't shut your heart off. Ask those questions. Dig into it. Seek out wise people and ask them what they think. Read the Bible. See what it has to say. Don't turn off your head. Don't turn off your heart. The Christian faith has stood up to thousands of years of people asking these hard questions. You're not the first. You're not going to be the last. If you've got tough questions, ask them. The faith can stand up to anything you can throw at it. But if you're just going with the flow, if you think, yeah, I'll buckle down and follow Jesus someday, but for today I'm going to do my own thing. If you really want to stick with your own agenda as long as you can and figure someday I'll have time to do that whole Jesus thing, let me ask you, why are you doing that? Do you really think you have a better option than Jesus? Do you really think the thing that you're building your life on is better or more important than someone who would die for you? Have you really got anything else more valuable than this Savior, than this Good Shepherd? Really? If you aren't really following the Good Shepherd with your whole heart today, let me ask you. Let me beg you to ask yourself, why are you not following Jesus. The Lord is our good shepherd, and the Lord is also our great refiner. In Zechariah 13, the Lord says that he's going to refine his people with fire. As he says in verse 9, I will bring them into the fire, I will refine them like silver, and test them like gold. I'll bring them into the fire, refine them like silver, and test them like gold. The Lord is our great refiner. He refines us through fire and suffering and testing. The Lord puts us through the fire. Wow. Hmm. This week as I was driving back to the hospital where we have a couple babies in intensive care, I happened, providentially happened, excuse me, to listen to a sermon by Tim Keller on the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the book of Daniel. That helped me get some sense of where we should be when we were in our furnace. But as I listened to Tim Keller tell that story, I thought, this, this is the story we need to help us understand what Zechariah is telling us in this bit of chapter 13. In Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, you probably know this story, but I'll retell it. King Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image And he demands that everyone bow down to that image. And if anybody didn't bow, they got thrown into a fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were good Jewish guys. And so, of course, they refused to bow the knee to this Babylonian image. And that makes the king furious with rage. Furious with rage. So he calls these three men before him, and he gives them one last chance. Bow or burn. He says, you can bow to the image or you can burn in the furnace. 
And if you don't worship this image, says the king to these three faithful men, do you really think your God can save you? If I put you in that furnace, do you really think your God is powerful enough to do anything? Time to decide, guys. Bow or burn. And how do those three men respond? If you know the story, you know they don't bow and they don't bluster. They just give a response of faith. We don't need to defend ourselves, they say to the king. If we're thrown into the furnace, the God we serve is able to save us and he'll rescue us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't save us from the fire, we will not bow down to your image and we will not worship your gods because we know that the Lord our God is the true God. No matter what fire comes, faith remains. And the three men, they are thrown into the furnace, but God keeps them safe. They aren't burned. Not a hair on their head is singed. Not a thread of their robe is burned. There isn't even a smell of fire on them. The Lord tested the faith of those three men and he brought them through the fire of testing. God could have saved them all that trouble. He could have spared them the furnace. He could have changed Nebuchadnezzar's mind at any point. He could have carried them away from Babylon to somewhere else. But instead, he let them go into the fire. God refined them like silver, and he purified and tested them like gold. And their faith and their witness grew through that fire. The Lord is our great refiner. He lets us go through really, really hard things sometimes. But through suffering, through trouble, the Lord refines us. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this is pleasant. I'm not saying we can understand or explain all of our suffering just like that. There are some mysteries that are too great for us to understand in this life. But what Zechariah is telling us is that God can and God does use the furnace to help us grow. 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us we can rejoice in the hope we have in the resurrection of Christ, even through our suffering. In this, 1 Peter tells us, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The Lord is our great refiner. He strips away all the junk in our lives. He takes the other stuff away so that we can truly be pure gold. Now, this is tough to hear, especially when we're going through hard times. Laura and I were talking a little bit about the text, this text this week, and one of us said, you know, we probably are being refined, but right now it just feels like we're getting burned. It's been a tough couple weeks. We've been in the fire. We can't always understand how or why God is letting happen what he lets happen. We can't always connect all the dots between what's happening today and what God is up to. And you know, that's tough, but it's okay. We don't need to be able to put all of our trials into tidy little boxes that we can explain. Sometimes suffering is a mystery that we can't explain or understand. 
But you know what we can always understand? We can always understand. We can always know that God takes care of us. We can always know that God will carry us through one way or another. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood in front of the king of Babylon, they didn't know how things would turn out. But as things turned out, God himself showed up in the furnace. If you remember the story, they threw three men in there, and a little later, King Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, wait a second, there's four guys in there, and they're all walking around, and the fire isn't burning any of them. And that fourth guy, he looks like a son of God. A son of God. A son of God. Have you heard that name anywhere before? The son of God, Jesus, in the furnace with his people. The son of God, keeping his people safe. Sometimes when we follow God, that means we go into the furnace, but the Lord meets us even there. And because Jesus walks through the furnace with us, we can trust him. The Lord sometimes uses terribly hard things to refine us, but even in the hard things, he is at work. We can't always connect all the dots, but this is true, that Jesus walks with us through the fire and that the Lord uses even the furnace to refine us into silver and gold. So I hesitate just a little bit to share this next story I'm going to share because it's not really my story, but I think it's a story that's important for our church. Reverend Lee Koning. Reverend Koning was the senior pastor here for forever, right? 26 years, 28 years, something like that. Not real long after he retired, he was diagnosed with cancer, and it was tough. I don't know all the details. I didn't know him at the time, but I know he had a really, really hard time of it. And after way too short a time, he passed away. But I remember the one time I heard Reverend Koning preach. He came here, he stood in front of the congregation, and before he preached, he had a little aside where he said some things of gratitude to the church and some other things. And you'll have to forgive me because I can't remember the exact words, but he stood up here and he said something like, you know... I'm okay. All of these hard things have happened, I know. It hasn't been an easy road. But God has been with us. God carries us through. So I'm okay. God is with us. So I'm okay. You can't say those kinds of things if God isn't with you in the furnace. It is only because God is with us that it is okay. Even in the furnace, even at the worst moments, God is with his people. Jesus meets us in the furnace, and sometimes it is in the furnace that God does his greatest works in and through us. Sometimes the heat gets turned up pretty high in our lives. But if we're with Jesus, we can stand it because he takes care of us. The Lord is our good shepherd. The Lord is our great refiner. And finally, ultimately, from the beginning to the end, the Lord is our faithful God. The Lord is our faithful God. Our Zechariah reading for today ends with the Lord saying this, 
They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. This is where it all comes together. The Lord will be our God and we will be his people. The Lord guides us. The Lord suffers for us. The Lord refines us. The Lord walks with us in our troubles. We belong to him. He belongs to us. When Zechariah says the Lord there, it's that name for God that's often used in the Old Testament, Yahweh. And Yahweh means something like I am what I am. And what that name highlights is God's faithfulness, God's commitment to his people. God has promised to take care of us. God does take care of us. And in the New Testament, Jesus gives us an even stronger term for God's faithfulness. In the New Testament, Jesus tells us to call God our Father. Our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Lord is our faithful Father. The Lord loves us like his children. The Lord is more faithful to us than even the best earthly father could ever hope to be. The Lord God is so, so committed to us. So committed to us. So committed that he does whatever needs to be done to keep us safe forever. So committed that he works for our good through the good and the bad times. So committed that he carries us through the fire. But then because God is committed to us, that calls us also to be committed to him. The Lord is our faithful God. Let us be his faithful people. There is no room, no room at all for dual allegiances here. The Lord is our faithful God. And so we serve the Lord only, the Lord alone, not God and something else. Not God in money, not God in power, not God in career, not God in your agenda, not even God in your family, not God in anything else, but God alone deserves our ultimate allegiance. The Lord is our faithful God. He is committed to us no matter the cost. And so in response, we're called to be committed to him exclusively, completely, without reservation, no matter the cost. The Lord rescues us from our punishment and our suffering, no matter how well-deserved they are. But the Lord also calls us to be faithful to him, no matter what other attractions other gods have to offer. Let God's commitment to us be reflected in our commitment to him. When the Lord says, you are my people, Let's also say, you are our God. But the last word, the last word should be about the Lord. God's commitment to us calls us to commit to him also. But even more than that, it gives us real everlasting comfort that we do belong to him forever. Truly, truly our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of our sins with his precious blood, and he set us free from the tyranny of the devil. 
He also watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our heads without the will of our Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for our salvation. And because we belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, he assures us of eternal life, and he makes us. He makes us wholeheartedly willing and able from now on to live for him. The Lord is our good shepherd. The Lord is our great refiner. The Lord is our, our faithful God. And we are his people. Thanks be to God.